We're going to dive into a new teaching series uh, this morning, Uh, but before we do, um, quick question. How many of you guys, show of hands, have ever been to Israel? One, two, three, four, maybe 10 of you. Okay, just keep your hands up for a second because I'm guessing you'd like to go back. So how many of you would like to go to Israel to see where Jesus and walk where Jesus walked? Wow, right? Most of us, right? Um, it's a pretty, pretty amazing, incredible uh, experience. It's one of those things that uh, my wife and I uh, had the privilege uh, to go back in 2017. Uh, and the reason I remember that year is because it's one year after the Cubs won the World Series. So that's very easy for me. It's kind of like uh, BC and AD in the Cubs world, you know, so um, hundreds of years. Yep, that's right. So um, moving on. Um, and, and so we went, and, and it's one of those things where as you walk, you go, man, like this is, this is um, irreplaceable, right? Like you can't, like just reading the Bible is, is amazing, it's good, but then as you walk, it's, it's, another, it's another thing. And so as I'm processing, you know, this morning, thinking about this new series of witnesses and what it means to be an eyewitness. I was thinking about how do you explain or, or share something with somebody that they just don't know because they've never gotten to experience it. And so as I was thinking about Israel, the idea of the Dead Sea came to mind. Now, Dead Sea is just one of a hundred places that, that you would want to go when you go to Israel, and it's probably maybe not even your number one. It's just kind of down there for me. But I'd always been curious, what would it be like you know, what would it be like to, to enter into a body of water where supposedly you, you can just, you know, like just sit there and it holds you? So if you don't know, um, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. It's something like 423 meters uh, below sea level. Um, and, uh, and as a part of that, the only source of water other than rain that's coming in is the Jordan River from the north. Um, and once it gets into the Dead Sea, um, it has nowhere to go. Okay, so there's no other rivers coming out, and so part of what happens is that because this is a rocky, silty space, right, the water, all it can do is evaporate, and as it evaporates, what it it does is that it increases and strengthens the deposits of salt in the water, and it's something like 37 billion tons of salt. Um, So this is is not something that you can, like, reproduce in your bathtub, you know, at home. Um, And so I'm thinking, okay, so what's it like to go into this? And again, so I remember kind of, like, getting there and kind of like skeptical, walking into this water and then putting one foot after another, and you know, and then you kind of get down and then you you know you're testing the water, you know, bump bump, okay, just kidding, um, and you start to test it and then you you kick one leg up and you still got one leg down and you're and you're trusting the whole time that it's going to hold you and yet you're still skeptical, right? And so eventually you have to let go. And what happened, I remember in this moment, like I was so, I was so confused. My body just went bloop, you know, and like bounced to the top of the water. And it was this weird thing. And so just for a sake of eyewitnesses, um, <laughs> we timed it perfectly. I just jumped in and they captured right before I sink. No, like this is like I'm removing my arms and legs, anything that I can do to fight against like the laws of gravity in this moment. You know, and, and so it's so bizarre and strange of a feeling that you can just sit there and it just, and it holds you, it cre- creates this buoyancy um, to, to you. Now, as you think about this, as you think about the Bible, right, so here's the deal, right, um, because when you walk through Israel, when you walk uh, through the Holy Land, they call it the fifth gospel, um, because it's like this whole new gospel that you're experiencing, because as you walk through the Holy Land, it's like the words from the pages begin to come to life 
as you walk. And, and you're like, wow, that sounds great. I've never been, so I don't know. Exactly. That's the point. It's the point. I'm an eyewitness. And here's the deal. You know, when you read the Bible, there's a reason. As fun as it may be to see it recorded in here, there is no stories in here that are recorded of Jesus and the disciples going and sunbathing in the Dead Sea. You know, it's like, hey, we took a break, and then we went, and we bathed, and we just enjoyed the basking in the sun, which is hard to even sunburn here because you're so low in the atmosphere, right? And so it's like you don't see that because the Bible is filled with so many more significant and important things, right? And it's, I was like, so I walked through this. It's like I was an eyewitness to the Holy Land. But here's my question for you this morning. What would it be like to have been a witness to Jesus himself? As you just begin to think and wrestle with what it would have been like to watch and listen and observe and to do what Jesus would do, how amazing and incredible that would have been. And so this morning, as we're gonna kind of take a little dip into the beginning to introduce this new series called Witnesses in the Book of Acts, which, by the way, is one of my all-time favorite books, so I'm incredibly excited. And what we're gonna see are Jesus' closest followers, and we're gonna see how they respond, and as Jesus departs and leaves the kingdom for them to build, how they respond, and it's this incredible story about how the church is brought into existence. Um, and, and if you know, if you maybe been with us in these last couple of years at Fall Kickoff, um, what we like to do is we like to give away a free journal. Um, you didn't get one today uh, because we're not handing them out today. So if you come back next week, you will get a journal that we have put together. We're calling it a companion journal. Um, if you're like an Uberman, you can call it your captain's log. I don't know what you want to call it, you know. Um, but here it is. It's, like, it's going to hold the passage. It's going to have a historical context. It's going to have questions. It's going to have space for you to write down prayers and, and, and things for your life group. And it's going to be a great resource. And so that's our gift to you this next week as we continue to move into Acts, and that will, that will be here um, for you. So, um, but before we, jump into, before we jump into Acts, I promised you something uh, this last week, because we we're in this series um, leading up to Witnesses uh, called There Is More. And uh, we started, and I, I promised that I would explain what the graphic meant, and so we started um, with this series with this idea of worship, okay? And, uh, and really, we looked at the Psalms and we talked about how, gosh, like, like all of creation, so um, all of mankind and animals and planets and the entire cosmos together, even though they're singing in these different voices, ultimately all create this symphony of music, right, that responds to and glorifies and brings worship to the Heavenly Father. So if you think about this, like as you enter even into a church, like we sang today, and together all this collection of voices as they work together are bringing praise and glory to God. But here's my question. What happens if church stops right here? As we think through that, right? Because we're designed for relationships. It's hard when we're sitting in, in rows to really get to know one another. And so there's this next level, right, where we talk like moving from worship to the idea of connecting, 
right? And there's these relationships that are formed. And here at church, we're kind of, we're moving from the idea of rows to the idea of circles. Because in circles is where we as people get to gather together uh, around Jesus. And, And at church here at Salem, one of the things that I hope that we will continue to do is build what we call a culture of struggle well, which means that every single person in this room, myself included, have deep struggles, hard struggles throughout life. And sometimes we experience them in different varying degrees and yet to struggle well, because everyone has struggles but very few people struggle well. To struggle well is to point myself or to other people to Jesus at any given moment. It's to rest in his grace and his forgiveness, but it's also to call each other to this new way of life, this accountability as well, right? And so we go from worship to connecting in groups. But here's a question, does church stop here? What if it kept going, right? And we get down to kind of the tip of the spear, right? And everything that we're doing as a church to invest in and care for people at our church, right? So this idea of investing, right? And investing is is this group of people, volunteers, who sense this this call from God, right, that's inspiring them with full humility but confidence to look at other people and say, if you want to follow Jesus, follow me. And it's not prideful because we understand our struggles, but it's imitate me as I imitate Christ with this full hopes that we are reproducing a Jesus-like way of life into the next generation, and we want to be a church that invests. Here's my question. Does church stop here? Because if you go all the way back to Jesus, when Jesus enters under the scenes, as he's talking about worship with this woman at the well, and she says, hey, you guys worship in Jerusalem, and we worship over here, right? And Jesus is like, no, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Because here's the reality. It was designed, we are designed to worship God as the cosmos, right? But as, as time passed, right, as God's temple was built, and over time, as his throne room is established there, is that the people people who, who oversaw that, right, made it, instead of about worship, it became a worship service. And it was about building and a place with rules and regulations. And as Jesus enters into the space, what he says is that worship, as it comes down through the church pipeline, it gets into these really intense relationships. It's like it's being compacted, but it it can't stay that way because it needs to explode back out into the world the way that it was always designed. And so what Jesus does is that he rebuilds this model, right? And he says, this is the church. And we're designed to gather together in powerful and in fruitful ways. But there's also simultaneously a life that each of us live. And it's built on the rhythms of Jesus himself. And the way that we talk about that here at Salem is the cave, the table, and the road. What is the cave if not personal worship? where you and I foster worship and love on a daily basis, Monday to Saturday, 
right? And at our table, when we gather together with people, how, who we're doing life with and eating with, and right? And what is road other than investing, but instead of investing inside the walls of the church, it's investing outside the walls of the church. And so what Jesus is doing is he's gonna set this up for us in Acts, and the author is say both of these are equally important. And we have this tendency to take church and make it a greater sign. And we go, man, if I'm really feeling like it, then I'll do the cave table road. But here's the question. What happens, what could happen if both of these two things were in sync with each other at the same time? Allow your heart to dream for a moment. Because I believe, and I hope that we can believe that if the rhythms, the life and the rhythms of the church are in line and in sync with the life and the rhythms of its individuals, powered together by the Holy Spirit to be in sync with the life and the rhythms of Jesus Christ himself, guess what? A revolution can happen. What does the world need right now? More of Jesus. There is more. So wherever you're at in this process, I want you to know that there is more for you. And this fall, as we embark into this series in Acts, what we're going to explore is the sense and see that as the church gathers together, the natural outcome is for them to scatter. They gather together and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to care for each other, share one another's burdens. I want you to love on each other. I want you to teach. I want you to pray. I want you to do all of those things. But then I want you to go and take it out with you. And it's a both and that he's establishing for us as the church. And ultimately what he's going to do is he's going he's to set up this pattern to say what starts here can eventually go there and eventually go there and there, and in the end, it's gonna go everywhere. And you begin to see the beauty of God's design for his church. And so there's this big difference, I think, between coming to church and being the church. And so it's my prayer that we go, man, we wanna be a church like that. And if you're new, you go, I wanna be a part of a church like that. Because it sounds great. Sounds great. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 1. We're going to see two things here as we kind of dip our toe into the book of, of Acts. Um, Jesus is going to lay out for, for his disciples a promise. He's going to say, this is my promise to you. But then he's going to say, kind of following that, but he's going to say, here's my plan. Okay? So there's a promise and there is a plan. Verse, or chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, pause. So, um, first book um, is a reference, right? And so, this is clearly his second book that he's now writing to this guy named Theophilus. So, if you don't know, this is the author Luke who's writing to this guy named Theophilus. His first book is actually the book of Luke because Luke was a physician and he wrote both of these. So, I just want to invite you just to, to read these first verses of Luke um, and just hear these, okay? It says, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
Just as those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, right? So he's saying there are these people who are eyewitnesses. They have brought those things to people like Luke. But here's Luke's response in verse 3. It says, it seemed good to me also, like in addition to this, having followed all things closely for some time, like he's, he's keeping up with the way this is all coming out, right? And he says, though, this to write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty the things that you have been taught. You see, his purpose in writing is that this guy named Theophilus, right, because all of this information is going through the world, and Luke wants to make sure that Theophilus has the certainty that what he's hearing is what he can really believe is true. Why? Because it comes from eyewitnesses. And it starts for us. What we believe today started with eyewitness accounts, eyewitness accounts, okay? If you jump back to Acts, right? So Luke is saying, like, in my first book, I, I began to dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That word began uh, is like, it's like the idea of starting from scratch in some sense. It's like he's the first one to do this. Like, like um, for many of us, like, we go, man, there's nothing really new under the sun, right? Because it's always kind of multiplying things that have been done before. As Jesus entered into the world, what he was able to do was brand new because even though history, throughout history, there are all these people who've been faithful witnesses in the Bible, Jesus is the only one, because he's God's son, part of the Godhead of the Trinity, who's the only one who is able to live life in the exact way that God designed it to be lived. And so as he enters into the world, right, he now becomes the ruler of an entire new way of life. This pattern is the way it's been designed. And so then the, and then the gospels then in some sense represent Jesus as the leader of this group. And he's playing this massive like four-year-long game of follow the leader. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's saying, this is my pattern that I want you to conform to, the image. This is how you do life, right? This is the way that it looks. And when you read the Gospels, you should come out asking yourself the question, do I actually want to look more like Jesus? And that's a powerful question, Right? And then Acts then, though, is what Luke is saying, though, is, what, is, what, is the continuation of that story. Because now the book of Acts is recording, right, how God is going to continue his work in and through the believers. What Jesus started, now we get to carry forward. And so then the question that we ask then as a church, as we read Acts, is do we as a church collectively want to look more like Jesus? And over and over and over, in many ways, we're going to be confronted with this question, is the gospel worth it? Is the gospel worth it to me? Do I have this deep understanding of what the gospel is and how it impacts me? And is it worth it to me that I would be willing to do whatever he asks me to do? And so to the degree that I can answer the question that I want to look more like Christ or the, to the degree that we collectively can answer, does the church collectively want to look more like Christ? To the degree that we answer that will be the degree to which we think the gospel is transformative, and worth it. It's powerful 
powerful, powerful truth that, that is at the center of the story and that God wants to work in and through, wants to continue to concrete the gospel and, and this, this forgiveness of sins, but this new way of life inside of us as we move into the world. Check out verses two and three, All right? Because it says, until the day, he's dealing with this first book. He says, I've recorded all these things until the day that he, or Jesus, was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, right? And so Jesus enters back into the scene after his, his death and his resurrection. You might remember the story, and if you don't, you can go look it up later. But there's this moment as Jesus, as he's re-entering into the rhythms of life and he's appearing to all sorts of different people, there's this moment where he appears to the disciples who happen to be in this locked room. And so Jesus, poof, here he is. Like, that's just part of his new resurrection of, uh, body abilities. So here he is, and he's in this space, and he shows himself to the disciples. And what do they do? They believe, because what's in front of them is plain and simple reality. It's not some big, massive, like, argument or, like, impressive rhetoric that, that Jesus is persuading them that he's real. It's by looking at him right here with the wounds in his body that they go, man, this is real. We are eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. This is incredible. Life has changed as we now know it. There's one guy who's not there. His name is Thomas. And Thomas is out somewhere. I don't even know where, where he is. The scripture doesn't record that. So wherever he is, Jesus eventually, you know, is going to come back. But the disciples, in the meantime, they go to Thomas. And these are his brothers for four years, his best friends. And they say, Dude, Thomas, Jesus rose from the dead. Eh, I don't believe it. Until I put my hand in his side and my finger in his wound, I will not believe. Later on, Jesus shows up in the room and Thomas is there and he goes to Thomas, I'm sure lovingly, and it's like he would take his hand and say, Thomas, place your hand right here and put your finger right here. And it's in this moment that Thomas is like, Jesus, I believe. I am a witness now to your resurrection. And Jesus, in, in the beauty of his knowledge, as if he was speaking directly to us right now, said, but blessed are those who believe and do not see. Because here we are. We don't get to see and yet the belief that we have is built and rooted in eyewitness accounts and how important that actually is. Here's my point, is that if, if it was hard for Thomas, if it was hard for the disciples to believe, how much harder is it for the world? His closest friends. His closest friends say, gosh, Jesus is alive, and he's like, meh, I won't believe, right? You see, when we ask the world today, like, who is Jesus? I mean, I just picture this, Jesus was a good guy. I'm sure he was, he was in many ways probably like a first century influencer, you know, like doing TikToks on the road and, you know, fashion challenges. And, you know, he was really out there and, you know, he's a good guy. And, you know, but was he God's son? 
Did he live a sinless life? Was he crucified and buried and for three days and then rose from the dead? I don't know. You see, if it's hard for the disciples, how hard is it for the world? And we see this need for witness. We need for people to stand up and say, gosh, Jesus is life changing. I am a witness to the love and the compassion and the work that Jesus can do in and through somebody. I need you to know that it's true. We need that in this world. And, and all the time, Jesus continues to teach them about the kingdom. And it's like he's pointing them back to this simple reality. Guys, my message hasn't changed since the day I started. I'm still teaching you about the kingdom. There's this way of life that I have designed for you to live in the world. And the kingdom of heaven is not about me coming and, and, and creating this escapism where I take you away into heaven, away from all of life's painful sufferings. He says, no, I'm bringing the kingdom to you so that right here and right now under my reign, you can still live life under my rule, and there's still joy and beauty, love and sanctification, all of this that we, we still have in Christ right now. And I love this in verse four. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. That word staying with them is, is this idea of eating together. You say, what does Jesus do? When he starts eating with his people, he takes them right back to the table. And we find later on in this passage, as they come down off of the mountain, it says that they returned to the upper room. Where's that from? The Last Supper. Can you imagine for a moment being a disciple and you're eating dinner with Jesus who's recently raised from the dead and as you eat at this table, you remember just weeks earlier when Jesus had broken the bread and drank the wine. He said, let's go for a walk. Let's go to the Mount of Olives. And so they go and he's betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. He's tried before the rulers. Eventually he's crucified. He's buried. And for three days they live in turmoil and in this, 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 this constant grief that we placed all of our hopes into the wrong thing. And they're painfully afraid because they think that Rome's going to come for them next. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up. He starts eating meals together with them. And it's at the exact same table. Think about how that changes your eyewitness account. And all that you're thinking as you sit there eating with Jesus. In the midst of this, you have a conversation. He says, do not depart. You know, uh, so clearly there's a, a plan that's coming. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait for the promise. I want you to wait for the promise. And that's the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk more about next week. But he's talking about, uh, he says, in later on, he says, John baptized with, with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a whole bunch of spiritual realities that we'll talk about that next week. But here's what I want you to see this morning. As Jesus is, is talking about this baptism of the Spirit, how does Jesus begin his ministry? With baptism. And it's like he's inaugurated into ministry with his own baptism. And he's setting, he's setting them up for the beginning of their own ministry. 
says this baptism is going to inaugurate this next chapter for you, and it's called the church. And he says it's not going to happen, or he says it's going to happen, but not many days from now. And, and here's the deal, guys, this, this morning is we just, just pause for a second and just think about how hard it is for you and I to wait. Because it's like the disciples are sitting at this table saying, Jesus, what's the plan? Great question, guys. The plan is to wait. Boo! That's boring. Come on. You have the like you have like fingertip powers. Do something. Just just, it's like, just move it along. It's just like, yeah, cool. Wait for the promise. Directly from Yahweh. Directly from the Father. I want you to wait, and how many times this happens in our life. You know, for, for Nikki and I, it was so unique as we were thinking about this next season of life for us, and as we felt God say, gosh, it's time for you to think about your next steps in ministry. And I was like, ah, really, okay, here we go. And we end up leaving the church that we were at, thinking that this would just, you know, kind of happen. And, and it took a year for God to reveal what it is that he really wanted to do. And this is the thing for us, right? We have a hard time waiting when we want something so bad, and yet what Jesus says, I want you to wait. And he says, but here's the deal, guys. Here's the plan. I do have a plan. Look at verse 6. It said, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, I want to come back to that question here in a second because this question makes more sense in its geographic context because what Luke has done is he's shifted. He's going to stick with the same, the same theme of time, right? He says, Jesus says, not many days from now, right? And then they say, when is this going to happen? That's the theme. This is a time theme. But Luke has shifted from the table to the Mount of Olives, it's this hill, mountain, right across from Jerusalem. And as they would have stood on the east side of, of Israel, check out this picture. As you look back, this is Nikki and I on the Mount of Olives. And as you look back over, what you see are the walls of Jerusalem and what would have been first century Jerusalem sprawled out behind. And so natural in this moment as you're walking, if you're a disciple, as you're walking up the hill to look back and see and then to look at Jesus and then to look at the hill and then to look at Jesus and then to look and say, Jesus, is this the time? Is this when you're going to do it? Is this when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus' response, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. A famous theologian once said that this question is filled with as many errors as there are words <laughs> in the question. You ever hear, like, there's no bad questions? <laughs> Apparently, that's what he would say, a bad question. The re I, think it's, I think it's true, though, that Jesus doesn't reject the premise of this question because there is, in part, this future fulfillment when he says there will come a day when all of that takes place. But here's the reality. You are right here, and you think that that's right here, and you think that's going to happen through me. The reality is, is that I'm going to... 
expand the time period here. And there's an undisclosed amount of time that the Father has determined before all of that happens. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to label that the church. And it's a time for you as a group of people to gather together over and over and over and to, and to study and to learn and to pray and to carry and to, to, to bear each other's burdens, all of those things, but it's also a church on mission. It's both. It's you coming together and taking the gospel with you where you live and where you work and where you play. And the disciples, as they are asking this question, the word restore to them, the word in the Greek here means it's political. And Jesus is like, guys, it's not political, it's spiritual. That's what we're talking about, right? And when they say Israel, they're thinking national. You know what Jesus is thinking? International. When they say at this time, he says it's gonna be gradual is he doesn't reject the premise, but he says, here's the deal. Hey guys, in this, in verse eight, this is what the entire series is based on. Look at this in verse eight. It says, you wanna know something? Here's what I can tell you. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. <sighs> Mic drop. Powerful words, and it's like dropping a theological comet into the middle of Jerusalem, which the gospel then creates this ripple effect as it goes out into the world. It's this beautiful picture of how he wants to work in and through the church, that it's going to start here, then it's going to go there, and eventually it's going to go everywhere. And what I love about the book of Acts, and if you don't know this, guys, this is so great. What we're going to find in Acts is that the gospel goes to all people. It's going to cross every single possible boundary that you and I could ever imagine that divides one another. It crosses geographic boundaries, which means it's going to cross cultural boundaries, ethnic boundaries, lingual boundaries, gender boundaries, social status. It goes to every single person because every person is the same and it centers them around Jesus Christ. That is the church. amazing of a portrait that is. And, and here's these guys, they're just thinking, cool, cool, cool. Are you gonna like rebuild like everything and we're gonna have our own cool little like temple in space? And she's like, no, it's so much bigger. So much bigger than that. And this is for us, this is where we go. Guys, we are on the same journey today. And I love that as Jesus thinks, as he sets them up for success, he ties the plan back to the promise because he says this task is far too big for just you. It's the Holy Spirit that's gonna power this movement that will start here and go everywhere. Look at verses nine and 10, because presumably as Luke records it, this looks like the final words. Jesus like says these words, and it says in verse nine, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them from their sight. It's the traditional ascension. And they stood there gazing up into heaven, like in wonderment, and these guys in white show up, and say, Jesus is gonna come back in the exact same way. What are you standing here for? Go back, you have a mission to do. 
and that is the church. And that's where I go, guys, at the center of the church is a God-sized mission. We're on that same story today. And here's how I want to end this. As you think about the impact of the church, right? We gather together on Sundays. We come together, and what we're doing is we're compacting. The, more, the closer I get to these people, the more intentional those relationships become, right? And it becomes so compacted that just as I wanted to explode back out into the world, and all of a sudden we begin to see that if we were to extend the possibility of these lines right here, we begin to see that if this touched the floor, and that touched the ceiling, we begin to see that the impact of the church is built on coming together, but it's when it explodes into the universe when we each embrace where we live and where we work and where we play. And we go, man, do I want to look more like Jesus? Do I want the church to look more like Jesus? And it's like we're coming out of the pandemic and just like, Guys, I know that you're waiting, but I want to do something. This is a quote that I used this last week, and I just love it. It said, during the pandemic, the virus spread so rapidly because of three things, potency, proximity, and duration. And we asked this crazy, fun question, what if that were the same of Jesus? The power of Jesus' life, that potency of that love and that compassion in close proximity over a long period of time. What might happen? And so each week, I want to give you guys something very, very simple and practical. And so this week, it's rooted in verse 14. Let me just read it to you. It says this, after they had come down from the mountain, it said, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. I want to invite you guys this week to pray, God, what is it that you would want to do in and through me? Where am I at in this process? And I want to encourage you that wherever you're at, whatever your struggle, whatever your story, wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, there is more. There's so much, there's so much to coming and being a part of the church, and there's so much more in taking it with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we celebrate this morning, fall kickoff, as we enter into this new season, you know, school is starting, um, NDSU, MSUM, Concordia, Rasmussen, M-State, all of the schools that are back uh, in, in session and as we think about this next season, it's so easy for us to think about these things and times and semesters and, and all those things. But God, we don't know what it is that's next for us. And, and yet, coming out of the pandemic, there is this sense of like, gosh, like God, like what if you wanted to do something big? that it would happen both in our church, that, that through worship and through connecting and through these investing relationships, that, that we would feel like we're a part of something, we're being built up and trained, but there's this preparation for the race that as we leave and as we take with us the good news, that as we look at people, we say, gosh, people, we are witnesses of the transforming power of the gospel. And Lord, for many of us, whether we're new or been here for a while, that we would say with eagerness and zeal, I want to be a part of a church like that. In your name we pray, amen.